Hi, I'm Denise Kay from Jacksonville, Florida. This is the Daily Reflection Podcast. Welcome to the Daily Reflection Podcast. My name is Michael Lynn from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm Lee McGinnis from Leesburg, Virginia. As members of the recovery community, we created this podcast as a way to provide experience, strength, and hope through the lens of the Daily Reflection book. Each day, we interview members of the recovery community in the hope that their experience may provide inspiration. We value inclusion and diversity, and we really want to provide a platform for all the voices of recovery. We aren't affiliated with any 12-step or recovery program, but you may hear these mentioned throughout the course of an interview. Hey, before we get to the show, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, it'd be great if you could leave us a comment or a rating. This is going to do a couple of things. It's going to help us expand our reach and improve the show. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Good morning, everybody. It is September 15th, and I'm joined in the studio today by Denise Kay. She's from Jacksonville, Florida, and she's here to share her experience, strength, and hope around today's daily reflection entitled A New Life. Welcome, Denise. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for having me. So we normally start off by uh, reading the, the daily reflection. Do you have that with you? Yes, I do. Go ahead and get started. Yes. A new life. Yes, there is a substitute and it's vastly more than that. It's a fellowship in Alcoholics Anonymous. Life will mean something at last. Alcoholics Anonymous, page 152. Life is better without alcohol. AA and the presence of a higher power keeps me sober, but the grace of God does even better. It brings service into my life. Contact with the AA program teaches me a new and greater understanding of what Alcoholics Anonymous is and what it does. But most importantly, it helps to show me who I am, an alcoholic who needs the constant experience of Alcoholics Anonymous program so that I may live a life given to me by my higher power. Hmm. Love that. So Mm -hmm. before we get started, Denise, what is your uh, sobriety date? August 24th, 2019. Oh, wow. You just celebrated a milestone. Congratulations. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. So what do you, what do you think as you read this? Did anything jump out at you? Oh gosh. Yes. A lot, a lot. I mean, the title, a new life and the first sentence life is better without alcohol. It, it's so true. It's so true. I think I've been on my sobriety journey for over 10 years now, trying, trying, coming in and out and trying to figure this, this whole thing out. And, you know, it, every time I can make that statement, life is better without alcohol, alcohol in my mind saying, I'm going to have more fun. I'm going to not be stressed. All the different things that my disease tells me it's their lies. They are lies because it takes it away for a moment and then it amplifies it afterwards. Mm. So you said you were in and out your sobriety date is a little over two years ago, and yet you've Mm -hmm. been working on this journey for Mm -hmm. over 10 years. So is, is this the longest bout of sobriety or I guess the longest uh, stretch of sobriety time that you've put together so far or? No, the longest I put together was four years. And that was when my babies were little. So pregnancy helped me with that. It's funny how we can be sober in our pregnancy for our babies. But when it comes to us, it's, it's a much harder task. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. 
So I was able to get some years under my belt being pregnant. And then I also just in those first years of having a baby, I didn't, I didn't drink and I was really scared about taking care of them and wanting to make sure that I was doing the right thing. So for them, I was able to do it. Were you attending AA meetings at that time or just doing it on your own? No, I was. I was attending AA meetings um, at that time. I had a sponsor. I was sponsoring others and I had a really, I was working a really good program. And then what happened? The kids got a little bit older and life got busy and I, I'm a mom and I am also very codependent. And so I would do for others and my self-care just started taking a backseat. And after a while, it just got to a point where I didn't have any outlets to release any of my anxiety or fears or negative feelings. And they just built up so much that it just became, okay, let's just do the quick fix, which is a drink Mm -hmm. for me. Only it doesn't work forever. No. No, not at all. Not at all. And it, it, it was difficult for me because I am a binge drinker. It's hard because I could go. There were times I could go with one or two drinks and then, but I never knew when that binge was going to come. I didn't know if it was my third time drinking, my second time drinking. I mean, it just, it would pop in and I didn't know when that was going to come. And when that came, I didn't have an off button Mm -hmm. and I just drank until I blacked out and got really, really sick. So, and then I, unfortunately, when I was blacked out, my body was still going and I was driving. I was doing all kinds of things that I had no idea I was doing, which no one wants to do that. No one wants Mm -hmm. to be out of control of their body and not even remember what they did. Yeah. Scary. It is scary. So what is it that brought you in this last time? Oh, so this last time I came in because I started to see as I was coming back or as I went back to alcohol in the end that alcohol wasn't enough. I started bringing men into the situation too. So it wasn't just, oh, let me go have a drink. Now it was, let me go have a drink and and a guy. Like, let me get the high of both because the alcohol wasn't enough to make me feel good about myself or make me feel how I needed to feel that at that moment. So that that's what brought me in is it started getting out of hand. I work in, in sales and I travel a lot. And so that was my little escapes. So I was able to every other week go out of town and travel and be in a hotel by myself. And my favorite thing to do was go down to that bar and sit there and talk up people. And eventually I ended up waking up next to somebody. I didn't even know who they were. And that started happening frequently. And it was just, it, it just got to where it was really, really out of control. And my husband found out about one of the incidents and I had been in the program and I knew once I got caught that I needed to be honest, like brutally honest. And I, so I told him this isn't the first time and this is out of control. My life is unmanageable not only with alcohol this time, but, you know, with, with men too. And so that was really, really hard. And we separated for a little while, but we were able to reconcile and come back together. And we have a really amazing, beautiful 
relationship, friendship and marriage now. I'm sure you're not the only one that can tell the same story. And it's just beautiful that, that with some recovery, that marriages can be put back together. Relationships can be put back together. It's like so Mm. incredible because you wouldn't think so, right? I mean, you would think there's no way that this is reparable and yet Mm -hmm. it is. So I'd like to hear a little bit about your recovery. So you had your, I I guess your husband found out you had the brutally honest conversation and there Mm -hmm. must've been some agreement as to what the next steps were going to be. Yes. Yes. It definitely was not, no more drinking. That wasn't going to, he couldn't handle that anymore. And then, then we had to go into the, the trust factor too, because drinking is something that's a very, for me, at least I, it made me a huge liar. I mean, I even became a liar just in like my daily affairs. It was like, nothing was, nothing was good enough the way it was. I had to amplify it or make it worse. Or it was, I needed to bring the chaos into my daily life. And that just became a really bad habit for me. So a lot of trust factors. We did the Life 360 on our phones where we know where we are every time. When I went to my sales meetings, the first thing I did was go into my um, hotel room and take a shower so that my hair was wet and I had washed all the makeup off my face if I if I had had makeup and stuff on. And so... And then I would FaceTime, lots of FaceTiming because I'm definitely one of those drinkers that, I mean, even after a drink or two, you can tell there's no hiding it, even though I thought I hit it really, really well. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't. And so if he, if if we FaceTimed with each other, he could see very quickly if I had been drinking or not. So a lot of accountability as well as my children getting older, that was a couple a couple years. Well, that was about five years ago that I made that decision. And then I did have, I had one relapse a couple years ago and that relapse was because of a male figure, a boss in, in my career that was just putting a lot of pressure on me and being very rude. And so that triggered a lot of trauma. You know, I feel like this is just the process that we go through. And for Mm -hmm. me, my onion, as they say that you unpeel the layers of the onion, my onion just, I had a lot of layers and I feel like every time one of those layers came out and I would find a way to like, I'd go back to drinking. Like I just, mm-hmm. I, it was so painful that I just didn't know what else. I didn't know what else to do, even though I had the tools and everything, it just wasn't the com- what was comfortable. Mm-hmm. So I went back to drinking and that was, I had one relapse in, in the last five years and it was because my boss I was in an airport. My boss yelled at me and the bar was there and I was like, all right, screw it. I'm going to go have a glass of wine. And I did. And I ended up in the, within three hours, I ended up um, blacking out and in the ER, like 24 hours right there. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just, it was boom, hardcore. I definitely, when I drank, I wanted to, or the person I became or what came out of me wanted to really hurt me. You mentioned trauma that your, the incident with your boss kicked up trauma. Is that part of your story? Yeah, it is. It is. I, my biological father is, was a very abusive alcoholic. And so he is a big part of my story. And I had to experience a lot of drinking and violence and even sexual abuse when I was younger with him. And it was just a really bad situation. And 
he was always stated that he was an, well, he's an alcoholic, he's a loser, he's an alcoholic. And, but he also was a pedophile and all these other horrible things. So growing up, I associated all that with the title of alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I fought having that as my label for a very long time because I was like, I am not like him. And I wanted to prove that I wasn't. And so I tried, I I did just like so many and, oh, I'm just going to drink beer or I'm just going to do it this way, or I'm going to make sure I eat a full cheeseburger and French fries before I drink tonight. So my stomach's not empty and all the little different things that you think, oh, maybe it's this that's causing it. It's not alcohol. It's not because I have a problem with alcohol. It's not alcoholism. I just did not want that because I didn't want to be like him at all. I'm just, I'm really sorry that 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 was your experience growing Mm -hmm. up. And I, I share not the same story, but the childhood trauma with you. And I do think that for me anyway, it's the original disease and it's, it's really why I drank for so long. And it was, Mm -hmm. it's why I had such a hard time getting sober to begin with, because that those feelings are there still, you take away the only solution we have Mm -hmm. and there isn't anything to replace it with just yet. Like when we're new in the rooms, we take away the alcohol, the drugs and the men And then we're just left by ourselves and we haven't yet, you know, traveled through the steps for the relief. And, and so I, I just lately, I, it's been just a, a theme, a recurring theme with so many women that I interview and so many women that I get to talk to and so many women in meetings. And of course, in my own story, but what do you suggest for women who are coming into the rooms with this kind of trauma that might be struggling once they do put the alcohol down? I mean, what I suggest definitely for me, the community was big. So go to meetings and especially in the beginning, the, the trying to be in the rooms every day, if you can, it just so that you're around a community of people that accept you and love you and understand you. That was really big to me because I felt the shame I felt from everything I had done. And then also with this identity association, I was having such an issue with, with the alcoholism. I just thought I was like this horrible person and I was, there's no way to fix me. There was, I was just going to be screwed up forever. And so being around my community and my, my tribe, as I call them today, because you just get so close with them going to a meeting, even the same, at the same time every day. So you see the same types of people is really good. And so that's what I did. And I met just a group of people that are wonderful. Some of my best friends and I, in the beginning, I could only go to women's meetings because I wouldn't go into a mixed room. I tried and I just couldn't even look at the men who were alcoholics because I associated them with my father. And so it allowed me going into those rooms and hearing them and their struggle. It gave me empathy towards them. And it at one point allowed me to forgive my father for what he had done for me. And that was a huge weight that was lifted off me and a mm-hmm. huge turning moment in my sobriety to not harbor that anger and mm-hmm. resentment anymore inside of me and to let that go and be free from it. Do you feel like the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous gave you a lot of relief from that internal pain? 
Oh yeah, definitely. The definitely the steps. I feel like the steps went for me when I came out of of my my disease and just the heavy drinking. I was it was I was so chaotic. My brain was so foggy. I I didn't really understand. Like I knew what, what had happened and all the bad that I had done, but it was just so jarbled together. So being able to sit with someone else and really just and my higher power too, of course, and just get it out of me so that I could see it and I could write it and I could talk about it and hear it. And then I could ask for forgiveness for it and I can move, I could move on. That was a big step. It was almost like I needed something like tangible like that to be able to really think through this is what happened, but not because that happened. Like, no, you don't blame yourself for that. You were sick. Yes, you did it. You have to take responsibility and accountability, but that's not who you are. Mm-hmm. And so it really helped me in moving past the shame and self-hatred that I had for myself. Yeah, I found that too. The process of doing the steps and connection to higher power allowed me to forgive myself and mm-hmm. also discover who I really am. Mm-hmm. And I am a child of God and a good, wholesome person. And we don't ever have to do those behaviors ever again. Have you sought outside help? Because these these childhood issues have nothing to do with AA necessarily, other than that. I think we do get to wipe off a huge chunk of bad behavior and self-compassion and self-criticism, I guess, off. But did you find that you needed to seek outside help or do do anything else? Yeah, I did. I did for my trauma. I definitely, and my sponsor helped me with that too. Going through the steps, it was like, I'm not a therapist. I can, I'll help you walk you through this, but I'm really here just to be a guide and a friend to you as you go through the process. And so as, as we would go through some certain things, it was that may be good to get some, maybe go talk to somebody. So I did, I got a a trauma therapist, an adult trauma therapist that I've been working with. And that's been, that's been huge too, in getting that. And then recently I started going to Al-Anon, which not traditional Al-Anon, it's it's a called the double winners and it's a group of alcoholic women only that are also suffering or or have suffered from some type of abuse from alcoholism mm-hmm. with their family or friends or something so that's been really neat too because i think what i've found in now my older age with my children and my daughter is 16 so she's she's getting into that age where it's very difficult. And I feel like I was very overprotective of her because of what I went through. And so just seeing how codependent I was, my children and trying to play like the God role in their life, like, no, it's going to happen this way, or it's going to happen this way. And for trying to protect them about everything, it's like, that was too much weight on me. And I couldn't handle that. And so that's when I went into the to the Al-Anon room so that I could be a better mother and that I could be a better just person and be okay on my own and understand that I do have a higher power and he's in control, not me. And Mm -hmm. just lifting that more of that burden off of me that I was carrying. And they have a higher power. Yeah, exactly. And it's not us. I know. And we don't want it to be us, no. (laughs) especially when they get their hormones and their teenage years. 
Woo. Yeah. It's a lot. I don't want to be the, I don't want to be the one they're angry at. (laughs) Exactly. You, you talked about your higher power a couple of times. Did you have a concept of a higher power before you got into recovery? I did. I did. I was, I was raised in a church. It was non-denominational, but it was, I would, they were pretty judgmental. And so I had a concept of higher power, but it was a judgmental religion was my concept. So in, in there, I had a relationship. I did youth group. I did church. I did all that kind of stuff. So I had that relationship, but I actually think the way I was taught the religion hurt me more than it helped me because it caused me more shame. Yeah. I was Mm. judging myself even harder. Um, like, Whoa. And so I had to re really relook at, or with my sponsor too, she helped me with this and really relook at who is my higher power. I call him God, but what does that mean to me? What is God to Denise learning that and being able to go, I can, I can, my higher power doesn't have to be the same as everybody else's. I have to look the same, feel the same. It's a very intimate and personal relationship. And just because a religion states that their God doesn't approve of something or someone or some way doesn't mean that that's how my God is. And so mm-hmm. that comparison piece dropped and I started really searching my personal relationship with my higher power aside from religion. And so do you feel that your higher power today is a completely different one than that you mm-hmm. grew up with? I mean, has that, does that continue to change? It does. It does. For me, spirituality is something that it's inside of you and I think as a child, even though I had that judgmental religion that brought me to a higher power God, I always had that relationship of this is my creator. He loves me more than we even know how to love. I mean, it's just, it's so huge. And so I always knew that about my higher power and believed in that. And that like was in my heart, but it was really how I allowed my higher power to love me and be part of my life that changed because I stopped pushing them out of my life when I was doing wrong. Or if I felt shame or bad, I would be like, Oh, I can't, I can't pray or I can't talk to him because he's so mad at me and hates me. And why would he, you know, want to be around me, talk with me. And so I had a lot of that where I would push him out when I was doing wrong. And I mean, we're always making mistakes and doing wrong. I mean, we're imperfect. It's just the way, and and that's okay. It's okay. We don't have to be perfect, but I, I strove really hard to be perfect in my life, especially because of the abuse. When I was younger, I did not, I had to keep that a secret until I was about 17 years old. I didn't tell anybody about it. And so I lived a pretty long life of that whole secretiveness and you don't really know me and I'm going to be the straight A student and the best cheerleader and put on this facade so that no one really knows what's happened or what's going on. But in spirituality, you can't, you can't hide from that. You can't put that face on because my God knows my heart. And so I felt like I was always battling that shame of that. And now I don't because I know now that like I said, I'm a child of God. He is my creator and he created me and he loves me more than anybody. And so 
just like I love, I've got three dogs, I've got two kids, I've got, I have all this, all these beautiful things in my life now. And I love them so much. And and they, people, they're not going to ever do anything to make me not love them. I understand it a little bit more as a mother, but it's, I understand that too, with my creator now. So mm-hmm. it's allowed my relationship with my, with God to expand exponentially and just, just become something really beautiful. That is so beautiful. I do love that the process of of doing the steps and doing the recovery allows us to bring that shame out into the open rather than hide it from God and let it keep us away from God. It it connects us Mm -hmm. to God and to other people, because you can probably connect so well to other women who have been through similar things. That's been a neat part of the program too, like is being able to get to a point where I live so much of my life in shame and hiding really, even in my adult life, because I was cheating and I was being this adulterous as the religion I was raised in would call me and all of these names. And I was like, gosh, I am really screwing up in this life. Like what is wrong with me? Like, and so I I was doing all of those things and it's just, it's just so, I don't know. It's just so much, so much better to be able to just not have to feel that way anymore to be able to just like let that go that lie and that's the lie of addiction that's the cyclical circle of addiction is it's gonna it's telling you oh you're bad you're bad you're bad oh I'm bad I'm bad I'm bad okay I'm gonna drink I'm gonna drink I'm drink it's just this lie in this circle and I was just stuck in it so when I couldn't get out of it until I did and the way that I did is I kept coming back and I kept fighting for myself and for my life I'm so glad you did so as we begin to wrap up, what would you share now? Like, let's say there's there's a woman that's listening that's maybe not found her way into the rooms and she's just suffering mm-hmm. and feeling the shame and can't put the drink down. What advice would you have for her? I would just tell her to just to keep trying that she's worth it and that she has an amazing worth in this life and she's actually been given a gift to help others. And there's a whole nother life out there for her. And she just has to go and find it. And to do that, she needs to be around other women. If that makes her feel comfortable at first, or just AA, go into the rooms, try to go to a meeting, try to go to one at the same time. So you see the same people sit in the back and don't talk in the beginning if you have to until you feel comfortable, but just go and just watch the change start to happen because it will. If you take the step and you take the action, the change will come. Beautiful. Yes, it will come. And and we need you, woman listening to us. We need you in the rooms. We <laughs> yes. need your magic. Yes. You in. are worth it. Yes. yes. And you are beautiful and wonderful. Mm-hmm. And this does not define you. This mm-hmm. is a sickness. And it's, it's one of the worst out there. I mean, if you look at the death rate, it is one of the highest. So we have to fight, fight this disease, but it is a sickness. It's not who we are. Mm-hmm. It is not who we are and it does not define us. And don't let anyone ever tell you that or make you feel that way. Beautiful, Denise. I'm so glad you said yes and you came and we had to reschedule, but we fought it. We fought and we fought. We made it happen. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Thank you so much uh, for sharing, Denise. You're a courageous, courageous person. And I know you've, you've helped a lot of people today. So thank you. Well, I'm so happy to be here and it's been wonderful talking with you and meeting you and 
Anytime you need, want me to talk, let me know. <laughs> oh, you know I will. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.